0: Hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We've made it up past two-thirds of the psalms, and we're starting on Psalm 106. We've got 48 verses here. Now, despite God's constant faithfulness, Israel has a long history of being unfaithful and ungrateful. This anonymously written psalm is a confessional one for Israel's rebellions. It's a similar confession to one found in Nehemiah 9. Verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or can show forth all his praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance.
1: God is to be praised for his goodness, his loyal love, that's loving kindness, and his mighty deeds. But no one can truly adequately celebrate his greatness. The poet asks God to remember And bless him with the rest of the Israelites. He wanted to see God's loved ones prosper so that he could enjoy the blessings and give God glory for them. Verse 6 We have sinned like our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have behaved wickedly.
0: The psalmist introduces the theme of confession here. The current generation was just like previous generations. They were sinners and rebellious against God and His commands. This is the main purpose of this psalm, confession of Israel's sin against God. Verses 7-11 through 11. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, He saved them for the sake of His name, that He might make His power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise.
1: The Israelites in Exodus did not understand God's wonders. They forgot God's plagues just days after they were freed when they were placed between the Red Sea and an Egyptian army. They were scared and ready to return to slavery right after their deliverance at the first sight of trouble. And we can see this in Exodus 14, 11 through 12. Yet, God still delivered them. In the same chapter, verses 26 to 30, God showed his power to Egypt and to Israel to keep his covenant. The sea parted and the ground dried up, For the Israelites to cross, and it dropped on the Egyptians, killing them all, all the army. God redeemed them. He bought them, and Israel sang praises to God. We see this in Exodus 15, the very next chapter. Verses 13 to 15. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wickedness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request. But sent a wasting disease among them
0: unfortunately this praise and confidence did not last they quickly forgot God's acts and began to crave and demand meat so they complained Exodus 15 22 16 2 and 172 God granted their request which resulted in disease and death you see that in numbers 11 4 verses 16 to 18. When they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked.
1: The people also complained in envy about Moses. So God destroyed Dathan, Korah, Abiram, and all their company. We see that in Numbers 16 the chapter, and and also in chapter 26, verse 9, through fire and by opening the ground beneath them. The ground basically swallowed them up. Aaron is called the Holy One of the Lord because he was set apart as the high priest of Israel, not because he was especially holy. And we see that throughout his life, and we will see it as we go through history. Verses 19 to 22. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image, Thus, they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea.
0: At Horeb, or Mount Sinai, Israel traded the worship of God for the worship of a golden calf. They forgot God, even though it had been less than a year since God had freed them from Egypt. God himself commanded them not to worship other gods or make false images. They had all been terrified at his words, and yet they still rebelled in Exodus 19 and 20. Sometimes it's easy for me to think, okay, how can you go from worshiping the Almighty God to worshiping this little golden calf that you made yourself? That's so silly i would never do something like that and then i go through my day and i realize that oh you know this didn't happen right or that didn't happen in my life and i get frustrated and i'm unhappy and basically what i've done is the exact same thing i was depending on such and such circumstance to fulfill me or make me happy well that's my golden calf Instead of focusing on the Lord and worshiping him, I was focusing on this thing and not having it meant I was unhappy. So I know personally I'm not that different from the Israelites, but it's helpful to see them portrayed here in this way just to kind of give us uh, something to think about. Verse 23. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them, Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them?
1: After this incident, God was ready to wipe Israel out and start anew with Moses. But Moses pleaded for the people of Israel, and God did not destroy them. We see that in Exodus 32. Moses served to stand in the breach between God's anger and the people's sin. Idolatry by its very nature denies the God of salvation. It denies that God really did save them by looking to something else, to anything else. It also denies the God who reveals himself. God has given us enough knowledge to know who he is so that we can worship him with our hearts, minds, and will. Idolatry ignores all that and goes to something else. Now, why is this important? We, I can echo what my wife said Um We sometimes think, and we'll see that so much more when we dive through Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, man, these people are awful. Um, And we forget that we're we're exactly the same. We are in so many different ways. We chase money, we waste our time on things that we shouldn't be wasting, but but we can let this be a warning to us that we do not want to be a bitter taste to our Lord. We want to be sweet Um, to Him. We want to be a sweet-smelling incense because he's worthy of it. So it's a call for us to be faithful to him. They serve as an example of what we're called not to do. Now that's not the only thing they're doing, but we can use them as an example. Verses 24 to 27. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore He swore to them that He would cast them out in the wilderness, and that He would cast their seed among the nations, and scatter them in the lands.
0: They grumbled against God, this time about the land He was providing. They didn't believe in His promise to give them the land, and they were scared to even enter the land. This fear was due to a bad report from ten of the twelve spies that went into Canaan, so... God cursed them with wanderings and death in the desert. You can read about that in more detail in Numbers 14, verses 26 to 35. And back to our Psalm, verses 28 to 31. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and interposed, and so the plague was stayed, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever.
1: At Baal Peor, it's a city, they sinned yet again. They committed idolatry with a Moabite god, the Moabite god's name was Shemosh, and a plague broke out in Israel as punishment. This continued until Thinehas stopped the plague by killing some of the guilty participants. And we'll see this in Numbers 25. He was rewarded with the priesthood of Israel, meaning a lineage that would, that would stay in that priesthood. 32 and 33. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went hard with Moses on their account, because they were rebellious Against his spirit, he spoke rashly with his lips.
0: We see they also complained for water and led Moses to lose patience with them. Now This happened at Meribah. God brought water from a rock, but Moses disobeyed. He was called to speak to the rock, but instead he hit the rock, causing him to lose the privilege of even entering the promised land. Numbers 20, verses 2 through 13. Verses 34-39 to They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the, the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood." Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds.
1: Israel did not obey God when they entered the Promised Land. Instead of destroying all the inhabitants, they lived with them and began to learn their idols and began to follow their false religion. They began to worship these false gods to the point of sacrificing their own children to these demons. False idols are backed By demons, we see that in scripture. The land became polluted with blood and sin. They became unclean and acted like a prostitute before God, in the sense that they were to be God's people, yet they chased after false idols. They followed these people that God had warned them about. Verses 40 to 46. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred His inheritance. Then he gave them into the hands of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel, so they sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress, and he heard their cry, And he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of their captors.
0: Because of Israel's sin, God allowed them to be taken by their enemies. His righteous, just anger brought judgment on Israel. Many times God saved them from their enemies because of his faithful love and his covenant with them. This is probably referring to the time of Judges, where God freed Israel from their enemies many times, yet Israel continued to sin against God, falling again and again into judgment. Verses 47 and 48. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord.
1: It seems like the psalmist is praying from a place of exile, which was a punishment from God to Israel for their rebellions. The psalmist prays for deliverance again. Yet this deliverance was different. Instead of simply freeing them from foreign hands, the psalmist asks that God. Gather them from foreign nations back to Israel. It's quite a request. But we see in Ezra and Nehemiah that God did indeed do this very thing. He asked for this so that the nations could praise him and thank him again. In the final verses, he asks for help, and regardless of God's answer, the psalmist glorifies God and calls him to be blessed and praised for all eternity. Book 4 of the Psalms closes with praises to God, once again, using hallelujah as the final word. Book five of the Psalms, this is the final book of the Psalms. Uh, There is a focus on God's power and destruction and renewal, exile and restoration. There is also a secondary theme of God's commitment, his covenant, his love and faithfulness as his motivation for this renewal and restoration. This book starts with Psalm 107, which has 43 verses. The redeemed of the Lord are called to praise God. The unnamed author shows God has delivered them from many sticky situations. Uh, this psalm seems to celebrate Israel's return from exile. Verses 1-3 through O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south."
0: Giving thanks is such a powerful tool. It not only praises God, but it shows us how much in need we are of Him and how blessed we are by Him. God is good and His love lasts forever. The psalmist calls for the redeemed to declare God's goodness. God gathered his people. This may be in reference to the Israelites' return to their land from exile in the Babylonian and Persian empires. Verses 4-9 through They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to be an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good.
1: He delivered some from the wilderness. These were unable to find a place to rest and were hungry, thirsty, and dying. They cried out to God, and he led them to a city and supplied their need. For this the people should rejoice and thank God. Verses 10-16 through There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Then... They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, and for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder.
0: We see that the Lord also released the prisoners from bondage. They had been placed there as punishment for their rebellion in order to humble them. When they realized that none would come to their aid, they cried out to God, and he delivered again. God's people should praise God for shattering their chains. Verses 17 through 22. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his works with joyful singing.
1: He delivered the sick from death. Rebellious sinners were afflicted and near death. This shows a lost appetite and abhorred food. But they cried out to the Lord and He saved them through His healing word. He delivered them, even though they deserved judgment. The people are again called to praise God with thanksgiving, singing, and offerings. Verses 23-32 to 32. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And He brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders.
0: Sailors who had seen the work of God were delivered from the sea. He calls up a storm, and when their courage has run out, they call on God at the sight of the enormous waves and strong winds. He calms the storm and delivers them from danger. This is quite possibly a reference to Jonah. He has power to deliver, and this is another example of why the people of God should praise his name. Verses 33 to 38. He changes rivers into a wilderness, and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste, because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water, and a dry land into springs of water, and there He makes the hungry to dwell, so that they may establish an inhabited city." and sow fields and plant vineyards, and gather a fruitful harvest. Also He blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and He does not let their cattle decrease.
1: God is in complete control of nature. He can turn a plentiful area into a desert. Many times He does this because of the wickedness of the land. He can also make whatever place He pleases into a fruitful area, for the needy, to create cities. His authority and power are... Limitless. Verses 39 to 43. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in the pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord.
0: The Lord guides the experiences of people within his world. He humbles the proud, and he also lifts up the needy. Why is this important? The fool will see this and continue to rage against God. A wise person will look at this, and pay attention to what the psalmist is saying, and desire to know this awesome God. They should consider the grand, loyal love of the Lord toward humanity. He is a majestic and awesome God, worthy of all of our praise forever. Moving on to Psalm 108, we have 13 verses in the psalm, and the title is A Song, A Psalm of David. So we see, David wrote this psalm, it's a song of triumph, a song praising the Lord's love for his people. The psalmist expects all God's enemies to be destroyed by their own traps and plans. He also prays for divine leadership in his time as leader. The psalm contains portions of other psalms with minor differences. We see verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11, and verses 6 through 12 of this psalm are very similar to that of Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12. This was possibly composed to celebrate the return of Israel from Babylon by taking two portions of David's psalms and making them into a new song. Verses one through six. My heart is steadfast, O God, I will sing. I will sing praises, even with my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your lovingkindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand, and answer me.
1: David sang his song with praises. He knew God was faithful, and his love and truth were incredible, far more than we can imagine. He desired God to be exalted above all, so that he could be delivered. We do not know what David wanted to be delivered from, but we do know he wanted God to use his right hand, which was a symbol of power. Verses seven through 13. God has spoken in his holiness. I will exult, I will portion out Shechem and measure out the Valley of Sukkoth. Galilee is mine, Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Over Philistia I will shout aloud, Who will bring me into the besieged city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us? And will you not go forth with our armies, O God? O give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we will do valiantly, and it is He who Who shall tread down our adversaries?
0: The psalmist was sure that all the nations would be placed under Judah's rule and that all nations were already under the rule of God. Nevertheless, he wanted God to lead him against the enemy. He knew that, as a man, his victory would not be worth much, but with God on his side, it would be a great victory. All right, Psalm 109, 31 verses here. For the choir director, a psalm of David. So here David prays to God for vengeance on his enemies who had committed evil against him. He speaks curses against the wicked, and because of that, it's considered an imprecatory psalm, one where the fervent prayers of the righteous are against the evil the evil people in the world. Verses one through five. O God of my praise, do not be silent, For they have opened the wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. But I am in prayer. Thus, they have repaid me evil for good and hatred for my love.
1: This petition is for God to break His silence. The enemy had lied and spoken about Him with hatred. They fought against him without a reason, and repaid good with evil. These enemies were hurtful and sinful against David. Verses 9 to 14. Appoint a wicked man over him, and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children wander about and beg, and let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Let the creditor seize all that he has, and let strangers plunder the product of his labor. Let there be none to extend loving kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Let his pros- posterity be cut off, in a following generation let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and do not let the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may be cut off, that he may cut off their memory from the earth.
0: He asks that the wicked person be ruled by another wicked person, that a traitor would be closest friend or advisor. He desired this enemy's judgment so that he would be found guilty of sin and punished. He wanted a short life for the evil person. At the enemy's death, his children would be fatherless, and his wife a widow. This was considered a disgrace to the family name, because orphans and widows became dependent on the kindness of those around them. The curse does not end there. He also wanted the evil man's family to never enjoy the profits he made by being evil. The psalmist wanted creditors to take their things, and strangers to steal their work. He even desired his enemy's lineage to be cut off. Lineage was very important in that time. This is why so many of the curses of David fall on the children. Remember, this is the psalm of a man who had been persecuted viciously and only wanted justice. Verses 16-20 through 20. Because he did not remember to show loving kindness but persecuted the afflicted and needy man and the despondent in heart to put them to death, he also loved cursing, so it came to him and he did not delight in blessing, so it was far from him. But he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, and it entered into his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him as a garment with which he covers himself, and for a belt with which he constantly girds himself. Let this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, and of those who speak evil against my soul.
1: The psalmist delineates the reasons for his desire for vengeance here. This wicked person took advantage of the needy and brokenhearted and put them to death. He enjoyed cursing other people so much that it is described as clothes, that he put on and water and oil he swallowed and enjoyed. So for this, David sought justice against him. Verses 21 to 25. But you, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake. Because your loving kindness is good, deliver me. For I am afflicted and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am passing like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like the locust. My knees are weak from fasting, and my flesh has grown lean without fatness. I also have become a reproach to them. When they see me, they wag their head.
0: David knew God was sovereign and kind, so he asked God for deliverance because he was weak, poor, and needy. He felt he was fading from life under oppression and mockery from the wicked. He was weak and thin from fasting. Fasting is when you give something up, usually food, to focus on God in prayer for a need. So David was weak from that, um, from fasting to the Lord. Verses twenty-six through thirty-one. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your loving kindness. And let them know that this is your hand. You, Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, they shall be ashamed, but your servants shall be glad. Let my accusers be clothed with dishonor, and let them cover themselves with their own shame, as with a robe. With my mouth I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord, and in the midst of many I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy, to save him from those who judge his soul.
1: The psalmist asks for help and adds that he wanted the oppressors to know it was God who delivered him. While they cursed all day, he would bless God for his deliverance. They would be ashamed, but he would be glad and thank the Lord for all to see. God, in his kindness, helps the needy. Now, why is this important? God is just, and in this life or the next, he will judge all people on earth. The wicked will remain with the enemies of God. Satan and his demons, while the righteous will remain with him for all eternity. It is in this life that we must make our decision for which side we dwell with. Then we will live out the consequences for the remainder of our existence. I hope you choose the winning side. Psalm 10, seven verses, a Psalm of David. This Psalm is addressed to the Psalmist's Lord, so the real Lord. It seems very prophetic, and in fact, it is. The king in this psalm is also a priest. This looks beyond the Levitical tribe to a time in the future, and if, when we get to it, we'll see that in Exodus and in Leviticus, a whole tribe or a, a clan of people in Israel is dedicated to be priests, the Levites. But this is looking to the future. This psalm refers to the Messiah. David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a prophetic psalm. And it is hard to pin down a time in David's life that this was written. David knew there was a greater one coming, who would have dominion, power, and glory forever. Jesus quoted Psalm one hundred and ten, verse one, and we see this in Mark twelve thirty six, Matthew twenty two, forty four, and Luke twenty forty two, to show that he was the Messiah and David's lord not just David's descendant Psalm 110 is also quoted in Acts 2:34-35 and Hebrews 1:13 again pointing back to Jesus this combination of offices of king and priest is prophesied in other passages like Zechariah 6:12-13 verses 1 and 2 the lord says to my lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies.
0: So you see David writes of a conversation between the Lord God and his Lord. And we understand this is between God the Father and the Messiah. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity speaking to each other. The Messiah would be seated at God's right hand, which signified his power and prestige, and his enemies would be conquered and made like a footstool. This is a strong image describing complete subjugation of an enemy. He would rule from Jerusalem, that's the scepter from Zion, even over the enemy. Verse 3, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power and holy array, from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew."
1: Others will be present with the Messiah. They will willingly take part in the battle and choose to be subject to him. These would be holy and like the dew, which could refer to their many numbers or their sudden appearance, or even the time of their appearance, like early morning type. Um, This will be righteous judgment on the wicked. Some believe this is the church, others that this is Israelites that were converted. Honestly, we don't know. In either case, Jesus will have an army with him, and I would love to be part of it, if I'm allowed. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek.
0: So this king would be a priest, like Melchizedek, who was a priest of God in Abraham's time. We see him in Genesis 14. And also the king of Salem, which is a reference to Jerusalem. He's also mentioned in Hebrews as a reference point to the office of Christ. Just as Melchizedek was king and priest, the Messiah would be the same. He would be the eternal priest and king, removing the need for a Levitical and a high priest. Verses 5 through 7 The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head.
1: This portion of Scripture is still in the future. Jesus will come one day as a judging king. He will come in power. And it will be a complete victory for him. He will shatter any attempts at fighting and judge all the nations according to his laws. All those that oppose him will fall and die. He will drink along the way. This is a picture of renewed vigor and strength. Yet in all this, he will lift up his head. He will be pleased. He will be praised and honored for his great acts. Our Lord is great and worthy of honor and glory. He has mended the broken priestly system and will soon come to earth to rule forever. This is an exciting prophecy. Are you ready for this? Thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope that we stay connected to you. Uh, again, if you want to connect with us with any questions or any comments, for the soul.com, you can click the contact us, and we are monitoring that as often as we can. Thank you.